0: and now move the sticks with daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks what's up everybody dj bucky back on move the sticks uh huge episode coming up today buck we've got two fantastic guests um and uh we've got some other topics we want to hit but i just want to tell you right now man if you need a shoulder to cry on um, you just let me know, bud. <laughs> you know, hey, I know what it's like to <laughs> see your baseball team fall a little bit short of oh, expectation. Oh, man. You know, so like, that was, like DJ, so I, I think this I may is, or may not have woke up the kids screaming when that second home run went out of you know, Kershaw last I night. Think,
1: I think this is funny, right? Because I do wonder, if you're an executive for the Los Angeles Dodgers, what do you measure success on? Do you measure success on how your team performed over the course of the regular season where you win over 100 games uh, you look and play like one of the Mm -hmm. more dominant teams in MLB, or do you measure it by how your team performs in the playoffs? And I think it's very, very interesting when you're sitting in that executive chair, how do you really build your team? Are you building your team to win in the regular season or do you build your team to win in the postseason? And if you are building your team, whichever way, if I'm ownership, how do I judge you on that? How do I evaluate you and the job that you mm-hmm. did? Is it based on regular season pennants or is it based on I want World Series rings? I just think it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting discussion that you have to have when you're in front of offices. Like what, ultimately, the goal is to win a championship, but what are we trying to do to kind of set the standard for how we're measured?
0: So. Hey, we're going to get to a lot of football. We've got Dabo Sweeney coming on the show, which is an unbelievable interview. You guys are going to enjoy that. Uh, David Morris, who is a uh, private quarterback coach at a QB country uh, down there in Mobile. He's uh, worked with Devlin Hodges, who you're just learning about uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's taken over for Mason Rudolph, who took over for Ben Roethlisberger. We're going to find out a little bit more about the Pittsburgh uh, signal caller there. We're going to play hits and misses back again mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, that's going to be fun. But I, I want to circle back, Buck, because I-, I don't want to leave this baseball thing just yet, because you brought up a great point. and this is a, a Dodgers team. and I'm talking about team building. Yep. seven straight division titles, seven straight. They've been to two World Series back to back, you know last two years, then this year they get knocked out in the first uh, first stage here. but they've yet to, to hoist that trophy, got to go back to 1988. So all this regular season success, and uh, you know, look, I don't claim to be some baseball guru. Like I know everything mm-hmm. there, but uh, it does seem pretty obvious that as good as your team is in the postseason, you, it, you're only as good as your first two frontline starters. And I think you know, obviously, have Bueller's a big time number one guy, but I think their number two guys not quite as good as the other number two guys. So mm-hmm. that's you know, that to me was my baseball analysis there. The other thing that was uh, that I was thinking of if you compare baseball to football. I was trying to think of what the equivalent is. And I know that the that Andy Reid and the Chiefs have not been to, um, you know, the Super Bowl. But they're a team that wins their division every year. They're a team that has unbelievable regular season success every year. And you go back to even when he was in Philadelphia. They won that Super Bowl after he was gone. But Andy Reid, you know, regular season success is good or better than anybody. But just hasn't been able to get that ultimate prize. And it's it reminds me a little bit of this situation we have with the Dodgers here, Buck.
1: No, I think that's a great comparison because um, – Andy Reid is a is, is name that comes to mind because when you go back and you look at those Eagles teams, I think the Eagles went to maybe five or six, maybe five NFC championship games. Um, only no, went went one straight. Yeah, Only went to one Super Bowl. And then with the Kansas City Chiefs, it's similar. Uh, you own the regular season, but you haven't been able to kind of get over the hump. And it, in baseball, I would say it would, it would compare to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, when we were in college, mm-hmm. uh, the Atlanta Braves were in the midst of a crazy run. Maybe they won 12, year, 13 no. straight um, like division titles or whatever, but the championship is the ultimate goal. So, how do you evaluate um, the guys that are in those decision making seats if you're not able to, to? You're always in the tournament and you're always kind of in the mix, but you don't get it done. Uh, I just wonder, I wonder how you do it. And I, and I think with the Kansas City Chiefs and with teams in the National Football League, you do have to make a decision because Marvin Lewis was ultimately fired in Cincinnati because he won a bunch of division titles, got to the playoffs, but was never able to advance beyond the opening that's round. That's good one. Yeah. You know, like like what what is it that we want? Are we – what is the standard? Because would you rather have, I would say, the, the success that the New York Giants had where they don't go to the playoffs often, but when they go, they win, and that's what they did under Eli Manning yeah. – or would you rather be a team that is always in the conversation but you never get a chance to really drink from the holy cup?
0: No, that's a that is a great point. Um, and look, if somebody <laughs> somebody comes at it from the other side as a Padre fan, like, oh I'd kill just if you tell me we just get to the postseason, I'd be so ecstatic. I do want you know, that. So 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 like so like, like
1: and think about that. Like you're a Padres fan, and so let's just say okay, the Padres yep. turn around and they begin to make decisions Appearances in the postseason. How long can you be satisfied with a? Hey, we get
0: there, but we don't uh, A long win time. It. <laughs> a long time. The drought has been so long. So I promise you, I will sign a contract that vows. I will not <laughs> complain if the Padres were to get swept in the first round of the playoffs for ten straight years. I won't oh say my a gosh. boo, That's like just hilarious. you know, because here's one of the things, like just from a fan side of thing versus a team builder side of thing. From the fan side of thing, like look, I, I want to be playing meaningful games at the end of the year, games that matter, and 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 get into the tournament, and then you see what happens once you get there. Uh, but no, it is to me, it is it is fascinating. There are a, a lot of carryover, a lot of crossover from different sports when you really think about some of those other teams you mentioned, and I think about. Uh, I think Marcus Grant, our buddy, uh, who does a fantasy pod, was uh, was mentioning, you know, hey, maybe Dave Roberts is their Mark Jackson and they've got to go find their Steve Kerr. Mm. And to which I replied, well, if you fire Mark Jackson, can we have him with the Padres? Because I'll, I'll sign up for Mark Jackson right now. <laughs>
1: I mean, it, look, it's a funny uh, thing. Anyways. Like, like, like the, st- the standard is always to be the champion. Um, but you kind of have to be, I mean, you, you got to be in the club to dance. And so... You get to a point where you're consistently in there, but then it's never enough. I mean, it's it's almost like Joe Madden and the Chicago Cubs. Like, look, he did a great Mm -hmm. job of getting them. They won a World Series. They consistently got to the postseason. But after a while, you kind of create a feeding frenzy where, hey, that's great that we're getting in, but we want more. And how do you manage expectations with consistency and dominance and all of those other things? I, I think it's a challenge. And I'll go back. From a personal standpoint, being drafted by the Buffalo Bills in 94, I get to the organization oh, yeah. on the heels of the team going to four straight Super Bowls. So you and I now know, having worked in the league, to think about going to four straight that Super is. Bowls, that is, like it is, it is really unbelievable to think that you can get to the championship game four times in a row. And now you don't win it. But you and I would say, man, like, wow, do you know how – it, it's a dynasty in itself, but it's you impressive. just don't have the rings to validate it. But to get the four straight is unbelievable. So it's it's just one of those things where you have to always kind of figure out what is it that we're shooting for? What is the ultimate goal? And is that consistent excellence what we want? Or are we willing to really kind of sacrifice it, sacrifice it for the fleeting moment of being a champion for a year and then disappearing into obscurity after that?
0: It really is, man. It's, in, in your experience, Buck, there's none, uh, none quite like that with that Buffalo Bills team was able to do, but just not quite finish the job. Um, definitely a unique time there. Uh, before we get to Dabo Sweeney and before we get to David Morris, uh, which, again, you're going to want to stick around for those. They're great conversations. But um, I tweeted out something the other day, and I just want to get your thoughts on it here real quick. Um, just curious. I was anxious to see what people on Twitter would say and got a lot of interesting answers. If we are talking about the top three innovators in football right now, um, who would they be? You know, think about guys who are creating new things and new concepts and mm. new, new wrinkles. Um, who are the top three innovators in football right now, Buck? Who do you think?
1: Who? Okay, so this is this is going to sound crazy. It's going to sound crazy because some of it would be, like, kind of caught up in the moment. But I'll say this. Uh, number one in my mind is Kyle Shanahan. And the reason why I yep, have Kyle Shanahan – Listed is, look, when you really look at what the San Francisco 49ers do and what Kyle Shanahan does, he really has a handful of plays that he uses. But what he does prior to the snap, to me, is ingenious. Um, the pre-snap shifting, the motion, the the window dressing that kind of surrounds the basic plays that he runs, unbelievable. Very impressive because to, to do it, Week after week after week, man, you just have to continue to remain one step ahead of the posse. He is terrific. Lincoln Riley has to be mentioned because Lincoln Riley's creativity and adaptability, not only his creative schemes where he's able to come up with these things um, that get guys wide open, but to be creative with the scheming while also being able to adapt the scheme to the trigger man. I think that is unique because a lot of us can write up X's and O's but can we write up the right X and O's for the players that we are given and the quarterback who has to get the ball to the playmakers? Lincoln Riley has figured that out. Um, I think he's terrific. And then the third guy, like, it's funny because I I, I go all over. This and is a I'm, tough one. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, man, is it an offensive guy? Is it a defensive guy? Is it someone in the pros? And what I'm going to say is going to kind of strike people. But I'm going to say, like, Jeff Monken, the coach for Army, to me is very creative. Okay, He's creative in terms of being able to take an old-school offense like the triple option and make it sexy enough where you have teams like the Baltimore Ravens who say openly, we would like to be the Army of the NFL. John Harbaugh, to be able to look at what they do in terms of the way they control the ball, the way they um, play the possession game, the way they're able to consistently run the ball when everyone in the stadium knows that you're running. To me, there's something to being stubborn about what your beliefs are and yet still being able to successfully find out ways to do it. So Monken will be the name. But he is a descendant of Paul Johnson, who's no longer coaching, but was at Georgia Tech. And we've seen that Paul Johnson has kind of been on the tour, making his way around some pro teams to give advice. Uh, I just think Monkin and what he does at Army is re- really,
0: really unique. That's a great one. I, I love that one. Um. I mean, look, when, when you're competitive and you're consistent and you're doing things differently, I think that fits the description of innovative. I, I, I had, you know, Andy Reid was potentially one. Yes. Sean Payton, obviously. Sean McVay. Uh, those are a bunch. But I, I actually ended up just putting Belichick as my third one because I was thinking of it like this. And, and just from an analogy standpoint, Remember when you were a kid? Like you, we play hide and seek for hours. I don't know if kids do that anymore, but when we were kids, like that's that's what you did. And you could be in the same house and you've played hide and seek, <laughs> um, you know, for for five years, right? And then you have a new friend come over and you play hide and seek, and you're like, I can't find this guy. Like I've looked ev- literally everywhere, and you're like, oh no, no, he's in the, he's in like the pantry, and like. Well, nobody, we've been playing this for five years. Nobody ever even thought of that. Like, this guy was thinking about something that nobody else was thinking about. That's why I think of Bill Belichick. He's always just, he's just ahead of the curve. And that and that is not only defensively, it's offensively. And that's being able to say, and not like it's necessarily all new stuff, but just everybody's going this way. We're going to go that way. And all of a sudden, we've got the, they were kind of the first one back in on the tight ends and the fullbacks and, and playing physical football and kind of switching it up when the whole league was going to 11 personnel, spreading you out. Um and then I just think his ability to morph and adapt you got to be innovative because the, the, the supporting cast around Tom Brady has morphed and changed in so many ways over all these years, yet they continue to win. So I think that speaks to Bill Belichick and his uh, ability to be innovative.
1: He is very innovative. But, you know, you know, what's funny is when you talk to people, because a lot of the uh, conversation or a lot of the, the thought or assumption the New England Patriots are so complex and complicated in what they do, particularly on defense. But then when you ask people, they're like, no, he's he's really not. Like He is very, very simple Mm -hmm. in what he does. They play a lot of man-to-man. They will uh, bracket and take away your best players. Um, They're multiple in terms of the fronts that they use, but the coverage always remains the same. And I think Belichick, to me, has has taken things – that are simple and make him look complex and his guys get it. But I think where he really is innovative is the way that he manages each and every game. Uh, Situationally, Mm -hmm. uh, the way that he plays the game, the way that he understands uh, the way all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams, work with one another. um, The way that he is able to basically change the identity of the team on a weekly basis. Um, I just think you have to have such a large capacity and knowledge base of offensive and defensive football to be able to change and adapt on a weekly basis. I don't know of many who can match his aptitude and what he does on the field to win kind of the chess match that takes place each Sunday when you take on the New England Patriots.
0: And, and we're talking a lot about schemes and being innovative. You know, I, you know we're going to get to these interviews here in a second, and, and uh, Dabo Sweeney's coming up a little bit later. But I think when I think of Dabo – and I think of him being innovative, I put him in the same class Mm -hmm. as Pete Carroll, and that I think him and Pete Carroll both were innovative in the cultures that they created, uh, the environment that they had in their program. There's a combination of... You Know having fun and high energy, but also being, uh, you know, tough and physical and disciplined. Uh, I think that's innovative how they've kind of built and, and collected their culture. And you're going to hear him explain a lot about that uh, in our interview coming up a little bit later. But I think you can be innovative in more ways than just the scheme, Buck. Yeah,
1: I, I think you can. And it's funny that you mentioned P. Carroll and Dabo because I do believe they're very, very similar in the way that they approached. Uh, their team-building process. Um, I do believe you can have fun. You can be energetic. You can make it look like you're having more fun than anybody um, at your level while still having the discipline and detail that is necessary to build a consistent winner. It is just a different look. And when you think about Dabo and you think about Nick Saban, two guys that are very successful, two of the most successful coaches in college football, but they go about it different. two most, different, yeah different ways. And Nick Saban is more of the old school way that we've always uh, envisioned coaches and how they go about their business, where Dabo is a little more new school, a little more player friendly, but the results are the same. And I think the thing that is true about both of those guys and even the innovators that we mentioned, you have to be true to who you are. You have to be authentic. And the authenticity comes out in your presentation to your players because players ultimately can sniff out if you're a fraud, if you're not genuine, if you're not sincere about the things that you're preaching. And I think with all of these guys, their sincerity allows them to build the team in the manner in which they kind of envision it uh, when they were young coaches.
0: Mm, I agree with you uh, 100%. percent would be innovative in a lot of different ways. Um, all right, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a new quarterback, Devlin Hodges, who um, is going to be taking over for the, just a gruesome injury last week, a huge hit on Mason Rudolph. Uh, I hate to see that, but Devlin Hodges got his opportunity, and he's going to more than likely get his opportunity this week against the Chargers on Sunday night football. Uh, we had a chance to catch up with his quarterback coach at QB Country there in Mobile, Alabama, and David Morris, and also got a chance to chat with him a little bit about another one of his, uh, his students, and that was Gardner Menchu. So here's our conversation with David Morris. All right, Buck, excited to have David Morris back with us again. And, uh, David, I feel like we have you on, you know, a couple times a year because you're constantly introducing us to this next wave of quarterbacks. And most of these guys I've heard of, I've done work on, I'm looking for a deeper story. I got to come clean, man. Devlin Hodges, when I saw him uh, pop in that game the other day, I was like, who the heck is this dude? <laughs> and, of course, his, he traces his roots back to you. So tell, tell us about this kid. <laughs> well,
3: first of all, uh, Bucky, Daniel, thank you all for having me on, man. It's always an honor. Uh, yeah, so Devlin Hodges is, is a, a kid uh, from Birmingham, on the outskirts of Birmingham, actually, Kimberly, Alabama, uh, lightly recruited, have, had some FCS offers, was originally committed to Southern Miss at one point, uh, decided to kind of stay closer to home, go to Samford, and uh, you know, obviously lit it up, broke every single FCS record there was that, uh, that Steve McNair had. And he's a kid that we've trained since senior year in high school and actually interned with us when he was at Samford uh, his junior year. And uh, just an incredible kid, uh, very confident, very um, kind of has that that calm confidence about him, very poised and and a kid that believes in himself.
1: You know, you know, David. It's, it's funny because when you, when you come across kids when you're training them, obviously you can tell the guys who do have kind of that unbreakable, unshakable attitude. And so, even though Devlin Hodges played at a lower level, did you feel like um, he would be a guy that wouldn't be affected by the lights in the big stage if he had an opportunity to play at the next level?
3: I did. I, I thought that Devlin just needed a chance and a shot and. Uh, and he would have told you that in the pre-draft process, we had him. Um, uh, a guy who runs our Birmingham location, Ben Neal, runs QB Country Birmingham, led his day-to-day during draft prep. And he came down here and was with us down here. Uh, you know, we had a number of guys down here, too. And uh, and I remember talking to Devlin, and Devlin was like, man, all I need is a shot. I don't think he thought he was necessarily going to get drafted, and he was okay with that. You know, a lot of these guys would like to think they are when when realistically they probably aren't. But... I think one of the things you know about Devlin from his high school days is he's always performed. He's always uh, when the lights come on, it, it was never too big. In that sense, he reminds me a little bit of Nick Mullins, another Birmingham mm-hmm. guy uh, mm-hmm. who who got on the stage. In fact, probably you know close to this time last year on a Thursday night game. So, and a guy we've trained for a long time, very similar in that regard. That they don't necessarily need you or me to tell them that they got it. You know, they kind of they kind of believe it mm-hmm. on their own, and and you guys know that. That's some of that magic stuff that uh, that's hard to find.
0: Tell me about uh, Hodges a little bit just in personality wise. I know the the whole duck calling thing, uh, which for us out in California, we're not as familiar with the whole uh, national champion duck caller background that he has. But uh, tell us a little bit more about him just as a guy.
3: Yeah, I mean, he loves uh, I think part of the reason he stayed at Samford is kind of to be close to home. So I think he's a homeboy. He likes to, you know, be close to mom and dad and the family. Uh, he has a brother that plays uh, college football. Uh, and, and, and obviously, he's a darn good duck, talk, uh, duck caller, right? So he's a guy that, uh, <laughs> that likes, to, l- likes to get in the woods. And, and I think he can call him up about anywhere. So um, I, I, think, I think, again, he's a, he's a guy that's very authentic. He's not trying to do it uh, any other way than what's natural to him. And I, I think that there's a lot to be said for that.
1: You know, so now that he has an opportunity, I mean, like he has an opportunity to really perform on a big stage in terms of being a starter. If you had an opportunity to talk to him, and I don't know if you had or not, what advice would you give him before he takes on his first start? Uh,
3: Yeah, I think I think the thought on on anybody uh, playing at this level or really any level, uh, just do your job, just just do uh, your part and I think you know don't try to do too much just uh, execute uh, your your, your you know, each play one play at a time one drive at a time and I think ultimately if you do that it takes a little pressure off of you and, and I also think that it um, you know when he opens his eyes and look around that huddle you see a bunch of playmakers and you see a bunch of guys that have your back so I think more than anything you just don't try to do too much just just
0: just execute. Well, this has been great to uh, to learn a little bit about the Steelers' new quarterback. I I want to let you go, but I got to ask you for one Minshew story because you've worked with so many different quarterbacks, and obviously you know Eli going all the way back, Daniel Jones. You mentioned Mullins; I mean, the list goes on and on. You're doing a fantastic job, but Minshew mania has kind of taken over the country (laughs) a little bit, and I'm just I'm just wondering uh, if you have a Minshew story you can share with us.
3: Man, we got a lot of them, you know. So we we've trained. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we've trained, we've trained Gardner since, uh, I think 10th grade. Uh, in fact, actually it was 11th grade. I was, I was running AJ McCarron's draft prep in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, at the time. And my coach there, Alex Williams, who runs QB country, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, had recently started training Gardner Minshew and, and he was lighting it up. I mean, he started as a freshman there, uh, and, and I think broke a lot of Mississippi passing records. Uh, one of those guys, similar to the to the attributes we talked about earlier with Nick Mullins and and Devlin, um, you know Daniel, all, all these guys, they don't necessarily, uh, they're not leaning on somebody else to believe in them. They kind of believe, and from the get go, I think, I, I mean, I remember I was training AJ and uh, and, and Gardner uh, walks up and he's like, hey man, you mind if I kind of jump in? You know, it's very. Yeah, AJ's coming off a, a couple national championships. He's the guy, and and he just wanted to compete and kind of learn. And he started picking AJ's brain, and yeah, I think that kind of dates back to the beginning. But just being there through all his uh, trials, and then you know, kind of him overcoming them uh, when, when he was kind of down and out. I mean, he's really inspired a lot of people, and I think all the guys, uh, including you know the QB country guys, we're, we couldn't be more proud of him.
1: You know, David, it's funny because I I had to admit I wrote about Gardner Minshew last week and I was saying like he's one of the guys that I might have missed because you you, you look at him and you look at the system that he played in at Washington State and everyone who has played under Mike Leach has put up these numbers. So maybe you can't really figure out how talented he is. But because you've worked with him for so long, uh, what would you say his his A-level qualities are? Like what makes him really, really special when it comes to being a starting quarterback?
3: Sure. Accuracy. Uh, From the get-go, he was a Mm -hmm. 70 percent passer in high school, and he did it, uh, obviously, uh, in college. It took him a while to get there. Uh, but then I think the second thing that just comes to mind right off the top is, is competitiveness, um, uh, the, the ability to just – he loves the battle. He loves um, the ability to work hard. He is, definitely has the big personality, but, he's, but he knows when to be quiet and be a student. Uh, he respects football. Uh, he, he, he didn't get there easily. And so I think there's a respect factor there with Gardner that, um, he knows,
0: uh, just how lucky he is to have this opportunity. He's not wasting a day. Right, last thing I mentioned, uh, was my last question, but I do have one more because Bucky led me uh, down this path. We've had a chance to talk to some of the top coaches around the country. And, um, one of the words, you know, there's always buzzwords. We hear grit was kind of the, the word for the last couple of years. Uh, the word we're hearing more and more now is the word focus. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that just because in a world full of distractions, you know, we try and find the the character traits or things that these great players have in common and we just keep hearing this word focus come up over and over and over again. I'd love to just get your thought on that.
3: I think that's a great word. There's so many distractions. There's so many people either slamming you, uh, or patting you on the back. And I think both of those things are, are, aren't are real. They're both distractions. And so mm-hmm. can you focus on hard work? Can you focus on preparation? Can you be real about you know, how you can grow and get better? Uh, and then can you be real about your strengths and then lean on them? All those are aspects of focus. Mm-hmm. But I, I would add another word to that, and, and, and that is, is confidence. You can't fake it. You, you can't manipulate it. it you either believe in yourself and where you are or or you don't and i think you know these guys we just mentioned uh, uh you, you see that authentic confidence and and this th- that's a big deal it's a really really big deal because there's so many things pulling these guys in different directions and ultimately you got to come back home right to the heart and do you believe and i think but i love focus because i think so much of of, of this position is 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 when everything is distracting around you can can you be locked in and, and, and it
0: takes a, a mindset to be locked in all the time I love it man that, that is fantastic man, we appreciate your time man. uh we, we wish you the best of luck I want one of these days I wish we weren't busy on Sundays because I'd like to be able to sit with you while you've got all <laughs> the bay of TVs up while you're watching all these quarterbacks you've had a chance to to tutor and mentor uh do their thing man it's uh it's really a testament to the job you've done and we appreciate you taking time for us Hey, thank you all so much. I tell you what,
3: it's been a long time coming, but we're uh, we're having fun. We feel blessed, and uh, couldn't be more proud of these guys. Thank you.
0: Well, Buck, it's great to catch up with David. Really, he has done a nice job of, uh, of training these kids and getting them ready when you get your opportunity. You don't control you don't control when the opportunity comes. You do control whether or not you're ready for that opportunity. And I think what you start with Gardner Minshew, the job he, he's done since he's been put into the lineup, taking over for Nick Foles, it speaks for itself. He's been the most impressive rookie quarterback. And I thought Devlin Hodges, in a brief look uh, last week in that ball game against the Baltimore Ravens, I thought he handled himself quite well as well.
1: Yeah, I think the, the thing that, that stands out uh, in listening to David talk about both guys, Garner Minshew and Delvin Hodges, preparedness, being ready for your opportunity, yep. um, the confidence that both guys had that if I just get my shot, I'm going to be ready for it. There are a lot of people that talk about being ready and, hey, man, if I just get my chance. But it's something about being ready to perform when you get that opportunity. Delvin Hodges had an opportunity to perform and looked pretty good when he had his chance. But Garner Minshew is a guy that is really making me, you, and a bunch of other evaluators recheck the way they go through the process because I'm going to be honest, DJ, I I missed on him because – I continue to look at the air raid system and look at the numbers that have been produced by a bunch of guys that played in the system. I mean, he played um, in a system that the guy before him, Luke Falk, played in, and they had similar numbers, but Luke Falk is not nearly the player that Garner Minshew has proven to be as an NFL player. And then when you hear David talk about his accuracy, I think that is the one thing from a measurable standpoint. I don't know if I took enough time when I was watching the tape to really chart, man, are these balls consistently within the strike zone? Like, is he is consistently hitting it in that framework of the body? Because everyone talks about accuracy, decision-making, two biggest things that your quarterbacks have to have. And I think I might have been a little dismissive of his completion percentage at Washington State because everybody completes a high number of their passes in that system and didn't spend enough time really focusing in on a let-me-chart how this guy hits the strike zone. And that is my true gauge of how accurate he is and if those skills would translate to the next level.
0: Well, let let me give you another little um, nugget here because I was talking with somebody yesterday that's been on the quarterback tour. So the way this works for a lot of these teams, if you're in the market for a quarterback, you'll send your top-level scouts and executives out to see all the top guys. And so this guy was in the middle of his tour going around seeing all these different players, and we started talking about the current group, but then we also started talking about the guys last year. And when Menchu's name came up, Buck, he brought up a great point. And I feel like we've touched – I know we talked about this with Sam Darnold. But he said, with Gardner menshu there were he had like three comeback games where they were down late and he made big time plays, big time throws, and led his team back. Like there's, you got to have those moments. Obviously, you know Tua Tua had that moment on the biggest stage there was. We talked about Sam Darnold, the Texas game, mm-hmm. uh, the Washington game. There was there was big moments for them, and, and I don't necessarily talk about you need to play in a national championship game. I'm just saying, hey, you maybe your team's down late. Uh, what do you do in those moments? In It was was fascinating because, you know, I would love to go back through a lot of these quarterbacks and and research that, you know, and and sometimes they don't even win the game. I want to say with Daniel Jones, um, they were playing Miami. He had made a bunch of big throws and uh, and they ended up maybe losing late, Um, but he had put their, their team, an inferior team that he was playing with. He gave them the lead late in the game. So we, we have to figure out a way where we can do that. I know you can do it statistically, but to be able to find out you know, fourth quarter drives to give your team the lead, you have those moments. And one of the interesting things was, he mentioned, and this executive listens to our podcast, and he said, he said, I heard you and Bucky, and I think it was probably mostly me on this one because it bugged me to death. But when, when Herbert against Auburn on the last play of the game on the Hill Mary threw it threw the ball out of bounds yards out of the back <laughs> of the end zone, it was like he doesn't have, like, when are his moments? He doesn't really have those moments throughout his career. It, it, it was, it's interesting. Under, I'd it, have to go back and dig no, and like, into that, but I think there's something to that.
1: Uh, there's absolutely something to it. I, I think, DJ, I know we have talked about this multiple times on the podcast. We talked about, like look, we can, we can talk about all the physical characteristics that a franchise quarterback has to have. We can talk about the intangible qualities, but there's a field. I've heard you talk about, a hey, not over my dead body. That's what he, he, he exhibits, yes. not over my dead body. We're winning Steve this Young. game, yeah. this and that. I equate it to, does he bring about hope? If I'm on defense— and we're on the field, and we say, if we can get a stop and just give the ball back to our guy, he'll find a way to win it. That's what franchise quarterbacks have to have. That's what they have to exude. Some of that, for me, goes back to playing with the Brett Favre, playing with the Jim Kelly, even playing with the Rich Gannon. You feel like if I can just give them one more opportunity, one more bite at the apple, they'll find a way to get it done. And so for all of the numbers and the analytics and the, the film that we watch, There's a sense and a belief that you get that my quarterback will find a way to get us into the end zone if he gets another opportunity. And if it doesn't happen, it's not because he he didn't have the guts. It's because some for whatever reason we ran out of time, we ran out of opportunity and those things, but not because the quarterback shrank in those big moments.
0: Yeah, I mean I think look Baker's not having a great year this year, but I think Baker Mayfield's very talented and he's going to have a long-term career and I think you look at his moments he had at Oklahoma, obviously Nick Bosa remembered one of them <laughs> based off the money making. Oh game, man, though. yeah. Uh, for sure. But But he had their moments, and I mean, you can go through a long list of guys that have had their moments, which is going to lead us beautifully into our next conversation, because uh, we're going to get a chance uh, right now, Buck, to talk to somebody who had a quarterback that I think everybody's quite familiar uh, with his late game heroics uh, in Deshaun Watson. Here's our conversation with Dabo Sweeney. All right, Buck. So excited to have uh, Coach Sweeney with us. And uh, Coach, uh, first of all, I got to ask you about Deshaun Watson. Obviously, you know him so well from your time there at Clemson, all the success you enjoyed. I'm just curious uh, your take. You know, he had a little adversity the week before last, and uh, and the way he responded to that adversity this week. All he did was throw five touchdowns, no picks, perfect passer rating, in a big win. Does anything he does do? Uh, does anything surprise you anymore?
4: No, I mean. <laughs> That's just who he is, man. I mean, I, I go back all those people. that There's a lot of smart people that felt like he should be a third-round pick or second, fourth-round pick. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't even the best quarterback in the ACC. And, and I, I just would scratch my head. Uh, I don't know how uh, people can miss some of the in, intangibles that I think it takes to win. He He's special. You know, he's not 6'4". Uh, or you know, he doesn't look like maybe some guys look, but man, if you could cut that guy open, whoo, his heart's seven feet tall and 250 and runs 44. And I mean, he's just special. and he's a preparer. Uh, nobody's perfect, but I think that, that what makes what separates great players and teams is how they respond. Uh, whether it be to success, or to failure, to criticism, you know, whatever it may be, uh, or maybe you just played bad, you know, how you respond, and and that guy is he is the ultimate preparer. He's a gym rat. He he does not get the credit. I, and I, that was the thing I tried to I tried to tell everybody when he was coming out. You have no idea how focused this young person is. He graduated in two and a half years. All right. You can watch all the tape you want. He beat them all. The best of the best. Oh, by the way, went down the field against Alabama with two minutes. Uh, nobody does that to win a national championship. And uh, but it's his preparation. It's his focus. Graduated in two and a half years. And he's just one of those guys. He's so busy being great. He doesn't get distracted. And he's a, an unbelievable teammate. High character. And and just you know, and he has a skill set that's unique, because uh, he can make every throw, but sometimes he makes it look effortless. Uh, it's just it's just, and he's savvy. You know, it's like he's got eyes and all around his head, uh, like the scramble that he made last. I don't know, if it if might have been two games ago. He scrambled and then dumped it off, and the guy runs for a touchdown. Uh, he's he, that was a he's charger. great. With, yeah, he's great with his feet. Uh, he understands protections. He's just uh, he's just a he's just a great competitor. And you, listen, this is his second year, you know, for full time. You know, his first year he he won the mm-hmm. job. Then he got hurt mm-hmm. after a few games, and and uh, you know, last year he makes the I guess the Pro Bowl. And uh, he's just he's he's something. And he loves it. He loves to play. And and the Texans have got better pieces around him now. You know, they've got a little bit of a running game. Uh, they've gotten better up front, uh, and then they've got more than just you know, DeAndre outside. They've got a couple more guys that can mm-hmm. take some pressure mm-hmm. off of Nuke. So uh, he's special You know, Coach.
1: You know, Coach, when you have a special player like that, what are some of the things that you learn from coaching a guy like that?
4: Yeah, oh, I learn, uh, you know, when you get around a guy like that, just, just you learn from their poise. Uh, and then again, you learn from how detailed, great players want to be coached. You know, and they want details. They want, they want, they don't want to just, you know, go get the job done. They want precision in what they're doing, and that's the way he was. He was a guy that I would watch him at practice. I mean, once the, the his last spring practice, he was coming off the the ACL, uh, or, or his uh, you know, going into his second season, he was coming off the ACL surgery, so he couldn't practice all spring. I am not kidding you. That guy, he stood back behind the huddle the, the, the offense and I most of the time right by me and he repped every play mentally the entire spring. And so just his his daily focus, daily focus, and I think the great ones have that. You know, whether it's Tom Brady, who's you know, fifty nine years old and he still prepares like he's twenty two and, and he's doing the same footwork drills and he And and he's passionate about, you know, game six in the middle of his 20th NFL season. Um, There's something there's something to be said about that preparation. And so for me, you know, watching Deshaun, Deshaun may have made me a better coach, certainly makes me a better coach when he's on the field. But he made me a better coach by watching him prepare how detailed he was and also watching his poise, you know, just incredibly poised. Regardless of the situation, he threw a pick six. He threw a touchdown. Just unbelievably poised, and uh, I think uh, Coach, I think we can learn from being around people like that.
0: Coach, that's phenomenal. You know, in the evaluation part of things, and and you do it every year when you're going through the recruiting. You know, the the athleticism, that stuff everybody can see. You can see that on tape. But when I look at the guys that have been ultra successful, and we talked about a couple of them already, you talk about that toughness and that competitiveness. When you're going through the evaluation process, those two things in particular. How, how do you find that? And when you're watching a high school kid or visiting with the high school kid, how do you identify whether or not they have that?
4: Yeah. Well, I think I think you. For us, uh, and if you really study our program, we probably offer fewer guys than anybody, any other Power Five program in the country. Uh, we're, we're, we're and we're usually late to offer. Now, Deshaun was an early offer for me. Uh, we don't offer freshmen and sophomores unless it comes directly from me. And, but I need to know guys. I think especially at the quarterback position, you you have to spend time with them. You've got to really study them. you you got to watch the bad games. Don't just watch the highlight tape. You know, watch the bad plays. You know, obviously you're going to do all your due diligence and research and talking to other people. But I think, you know, in this, this – highlight world that we live in Uh, a lot of people don't do their due diligence and they don't go through and watch games. They don't watch them, uh, respond, you know, after a bad play or or whatever. But for me, it just comes to get, I I just got to get to know them and then what's their background, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm uh, you know, and, and, and all those things. And for Deshaun, he started coming to camp eighth, ninth grade. And, and, you know, then you go watch him deal with what he's dealing with, with his mom. And he was so focused and he calls me as a sophomore and I love this kid. I mean, he was one of the, and and he's like, coach, I'm committing to Clemson. I'm like, Sean, that's like two years from now. No, I'm coming to Clemson. And, uh, but just focused. And the greatest players that I've had, that's the characteristic that they have all had unbelievable focus. The guys that have been distracted with all the recruiting and all the stuff, they don't know what they want, you know, all that mess, uh, Mm -hmm. it it, it usually hasn't gone as well and uh so so i just i just try to get to know him uh try to watch the tape we try to get him to camp uh and then uh you know try to dig a little deeper other than just you know can he spin it can he move uh, and all those type of things you know what's that mental makeup uh to go along with all the skill set that he has
1: you know, Coach, it's interesting because I'm really close to one of your former players, Dexter Lawrence. Dexter played for my oh, dad. Yeah. Dexter played for my dad in high school at Wake at Forest. Wake? Yeah, and so Dexter always would rave about the culture that you've created down in Clemson. He just talked about how great of a man you were, how great the program was. For our listeners, what is the culture down in Clemson? What is it about? what What have you put in place to help young people grow and thrive?
4: Uh, relationship, love. You know, we serve their heart, not their talent. And, uh, you know, we we uh, our program is about what's best for the players. And, you know, now sometimes what's best for the players, the players don't like. But I think at the end of the day, you know, there's an old saying that says, uh, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And, uh, you know, we, we have relationships and we're, we, we have transparency and we communicate. Lots of trust and respect and communication. Uh, we've built a family atmosphere that's very – real and genuine it's not something you can fabricate Uh, we appreciate each other we we talk about appreciation uh we we teach servant leadership you know nobody's better than anybody else uh how can you how can you uh uh uh, brighten somebody's day you know so we we just every day it's just woven into to our culture here we create opportunities for our players certainly as, as football players but more importantly as men you know, through our Paul Journey program. And, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, it's not just the people involved, but the intentions of the people involved. You know, we're very intentional in what we do. And, uh, you know, it's about graduating our players and equipping them with the tools that they need to be successful on and off the field. Uh, it's about making sure they have a great experience and that they win, but it's in that order. And so everything in our program is geared toward that. And, uh, and, and, so, you know, we just try to live it every single day. You can, you can put up something on a wall and it can be wallpaper, uh, or you can live it. And so we try to live it. And again, it's relationship driven. You, 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 you just, I mean, I just love them. I love what I do. I love where I am. I love my players. I've got three sons. I look at all these guys as my sons. I've been in a player. Um, I understand how hard it is, but I want my, my whole philosophy of coaching is, is I care more about the 30 year old version of them than I do the 18 to 22 year old version of them. And, and that's how I want to, that's how I want to deal with them. Uh, because we all know you think differently at 30 than you did at 20. And, and so I just try to, I just try to, uh, lead with love and lead with wisdom and, uh, and and just, you know, I'm tough on these guys now. I mean, Dexter be the first one of the day. I'm tough on them. Uh, but they know <laughs> I care. They know that.
0: Coach, Coach, you you have the culture. You have the success. It's all it's all rolling there at Clemson. I'm just curious, going back to your time as a player at Alabama, uh, at that point in time, I mean, college football was pretty regional, right? I mean, I'm sure most of the guys on your team there had, grew up in Alabama or in the neighboring states. Now it's the point, especially the place where you're at, you're getting kids from up in the northeast. You go get Wilkins from the northeast. You've got kids from California. You've got kids from all over the country. I'm just curious how it's different in, in, in the way it is now when you were a player as to the way the game is right now in terms of just blending all these different people from all these different places.
4: Oh, man, it's so different. Well, first of all, you know, when I was a player, you didn't get to do stuff like whatever this is called, Skype or what are we doing? Are we FaceTiming? <laughs> what are we yeah. But you didn't have this type of stuff, I mean, you know, my girlfriend, my my wife, uh, when I first went to college, she was still, she was a year behind me. And, I mean, I remember calling home, you know, you go over to the wall, pick the phone off the wall. You know, you, you dial the number, you know, sit, you know, and, and she'd answer. And be like, hey, how you doing? Oh, you have a great day? Okay, love you. Bye. And you'd hang up because it was like $2 a second or something. And, uh, you know, now, so it was so it was regional. You, you would literally go get the newspaper and you didn't know what the news was until the next day you get the newspaper and go, Oh, wow. Did you see what happened yesterday? You know? And that was the world that we (laughs) operated in. You had, you had beat writers that covered your local team. And, and I mean, I'm in Alabama, but you know, nobody in California knew what was going on at university of Alabama. You know, you didn't have a lot of the, you didn't have social media, you didn't have cell phones. So it was different. So, so it has certainly changed, and now the world has become a very small place. You can send a picture to China. You can do a, a, a sit-down interview in person with, with Coach Sweeney at Clemson from wherever y'all are. I don't even know where y'all are. <laughs>
0: we're
4: places. in California, Coach. Are y'all in different places or are y'all in the same place? <laughs> different,
0: different, different places. Different places.
4: So we're in all three different places, and we're having this live interview. So it's it's made the world small, and and it's been interesting because now I have kids that I meet. Like I, I have a uh, a receiver, on our team uh, from Sacramento, named Joseph Ngata, mm-hmm. and he's unbelievable. He he could end up being the best we've ever had here. He's unbelievable, and I'm like I'm not going to Sacramento to recruit a wideout, you know. And I'm like, why am I going out there? Well, you look, take my place, pretty good. Well, then you start researching. Guy, he kind of fits our culture, and then I start talking to the guy. And he starts telling me all this stuff he knows about Clemson. And, you know, and and so I've had to kind of change how I think a little because, I mean, this is my 11th year. And so a lot of these, he was like seven, six, seven. So his whole life, watching he Taj, was version of Clemson. You know, the New Copkins, all these guys, Sammy and Taj and Deshaun. And so that's what he knows because it's easy for him. He can watch it on the Internet every mm-hmm. day. He's got social media. It's on ESPN. Every game is on TV now. It's just – and so it has made things um, – there is no long distance anymore. And used to, you didn't want to ever go somewhere because you could never see your family. Well, now they can FaceTime them every day, every day. Hey, Mom, what are you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Okay, what are you having breakfast? What are you having breakfast? And then, you know, okay, have a good day. Bye. (laughs) It's it's just – it's just a – it's a different dynamic than the way it was back in those days, and uh, and and everybody, you know, from a media standpoint, knows exactly everything happens instantly. You, you know, I still like a newspaper, but I don't ever get a newspaper unless I go to the beach and I buy the little local uh, beach paper because I want to <laughs> read the local news. Uh, who reads a paper? I just go to USA Today on my phone or whatever, and or or it's a or it's a live notification. Yep. You know, uh, oh, yeah. it comes to beat, you. You don't have to go to it. I don't have to look up and see what happened. 49ers beat the Browns and, you know, they're four and or whatever. So it's just an instant world that we live in. And we're, and it's very much connected that way from an information standpoint.
1: Hey coach, we have a lot of uh, aspiring coaches and people that want to be in front offices that, that tune in to the podcast. And I'm a first year head coach at a high school. So I pay close oh, really? attention to how you built your program. And so if you could go back and think about you know, where you were as a coach before you were head coach, how did you come up with your vision and like how ahead of the curve was it to think about, hey, if I ever get a program, this is what I would like it to be about. This is how I would like to build the culture and all those things because you're respected as one of the best culture builders in the country. And so I think our guys would just like to hear how you could envision Clemson being where Clemson is today.
4: Well, I think the first thing is, is uh, you know, you got to be who you are uh, in, in whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, you, you have to be true and authentic to, to the, the person you are and figure out what your philosophy is going to be. Everybody has to have a philosophy. And for me, uh, I started developing – when I got into coaching in 1993, I started to develop a philosophy of being a head coach one day. I didn't know if I'd ever be a head coach, uh, but I started planning for it. And I started learning and I started preparing. And I, and so the first thing is you have to have a vision for what you want something to look like. You know, the Bible even says that, right? You know, it says, it says, if you fail to dream, you lose your vision and without vision, man shall perish. So you've got to dream and you've got to think, you know, a lot, there's a lot of times we get so busy now. We don't take time to think. I literally schedule time to think, and and uh, and so for me, it started at a at a at an early uh, time in my career. I started just putting a book together, of things I like, things I didn't like. I like to write notes, um, you know, whether it be hey, this if I was a head coach, here's what I here's what I believe in academically. Here's what I would want my offensive philosophy to be. Here's what I would want my defensive philosophy to be. Here's the type of staff I would want to be. I used to I used to put staff names like I, half of them I didn't even know. But I'd be like, man, if I get a head job, I like that guy. It'd be somebody I'd meet on the recruiting trail, and, and I'd be like, one of these days, I might get. Man, I used a guy I need to keep his name, and I'd I'd start writing these names down uh, of offensive guys and defensive guys, and and then uh, oh, recruiting, recruiting strategy, recruiting uh, philosophy, uh, and then just program stuff and core values and and all these things. And what do we want to be about? Like, what are you going to hang your hat on? Somebody you got? If somebody walks up to you you've got to have a vision for what what you want it to look like. It's probably, if you're getting a job, it's probably a mess today, all right? So most jobs in coaching, very few (laughs) do you just get. They're like, whoa, (laughs) this is the greatest job ever. (laughs) Uh, And so you have to have a clear vision for what you want it to look like, and you've got to be able to articulate that. And then you got to be able to create the buy-in, and the only way you do that is you got to have a plan. And then, and then you got to understand early on that there's probably going to be a come-to-Jesus moment somewhere early, and and, and that's just the way it is. And you know what? You you can't bat an eye, man. And and you and the other thing I, I tell young coaches is focus on having a great program. You know, don't focus on mm-hmm. just having a great team. So many people, they compromise and they take shortcuts to have a great team. You know, for example, and there's nothing wrong with it. But, but for me, I don't sign JUCO players or transfers. Just, and I made that decision t- in 2009, because you know, I my mindset is I want to develop through the draft. I don't want to be lazy in evaluation. Mm-hmm. I'm going we're going to create a lot of accountability and recruiting. We're going to, we're going to evaluate well and we're going to develop well. And I will I want to build a culture that guys know if they put the work in sooner or later, they're going to have an opportunity. Now the best player is going to play, but, but you know, most time if you put the work in and you stick it out sooner or later, you're going to have an opportunity. And, and I didn't want to create an environment where as the head coach, I'm bailing my assistants out because they just out signing guys and they're lazy in recruiting. Mm-hmm. They're lazy in evaluation. Uh, and then I didn't want to, you know, worry about uh, who, who else was recruiting somebody, what what their stars were. You know, if, if that was the case, we don't sign Grady Jarrett, who we beat Buffalo to get Grady Jarrett. He's a two star recruit. <laughs> Grady Jarrett's pretty good. The bull's doing good. work. <laughs> yeah. So the best player plays. I mean, Hunter Renfro comes in here as a walk on and he beat out two five star receivers. They're that are pretty good. And they're both are in the and Dion Kane and Ray Ray, they all came in together. And and Dion and Ray Ray are in the NFL, but a walk-on beat them out. And because that's our culture. And it's not a problem because the guys know we're consistent and we're fair and the best player plays. Period. You're not entitled. So that's the other thing I would say is as you build a culture, don't, don't base it on entitlement. Don't base it on what guys did last year. Base it on today you know, and, and having that windshield mentality of it's always about what's next. You know, we learn and grow from what's in the rearview mirror, but there's a reason why that rearview mirror is small and that windshield is big. All right. Cause our eyes should be focused on, I, I start over every year and I, you know, I tell Trevor, Hey, you were great last year. Awesome. You're gonna have to earn the job again. All right. Cause that's just the way it is. <laughs> and, and that's just, you know, that's our culture and guys buy into that and it creates competition and it, and it stamps out complacency, uh, and all those type of things. So, but again, if you don't have the relationships, so for me though, w- becoming a head coach. So I was an assistant for years. I just coached the team the way I coached my position. I don't really do anything different. I, I tell coaches mm-hmm. practice being a head coach. You're a head coach of your position right now. You're the head coach. And I try to create that with my staff. I'm like, Hey, I want you to be empowered. You're the head coach of your position. And you need to learn to think that way. And so maybe one day you get the opportunity to be a head coach and you, you understand how to build a culture in your room. You understand relationships, you understand tough decisions. And then when you become the head coach, just coach the team the same way. And, uh, so that I really, I don't do anything different than I did coaching wideouts for all those years. I just coach the whole team at this, the whole group, the whole group's a wide out now. That's how I look at it. And, um, uh, I'm tough on them. I love them. I get to know them, uh, but I think for me, it started a long time ago. And having that vision, and then walking it out, and be, and then you got to have belief. You know, you you got to, especially when you become the head coach, because you're going to get a lot of opinions, a lot of advice. And I know for me, early on, mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I I'm the head coach, and they're like, you know, well, who am I? And then I'm like, well, I want to, I want to hire a guy to come be the offensive coordinator who's coached one year of college, eight months of college ball. And everybody's like, no, you got to go hire this guy, this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And I'm 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 going down in the Humane Society to get a, a free mutt, you know, to come in here. <laughs> but that's what I believe in, you know, and I didn't I knew what yeah. I wanted to do. And so at some point, you got to have some conviction in who you are and not not be that person that that gets, you know, convicted back and forth, whichever way the wind is blowing. You know, and and so be inside-out focused. That's probably the other thing. Uh, And the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So from day one, I've always told our team, we're going to change Clemson, but we're going to do it from the inside out. We cannot be distracted by things we don't control, all right, or things we've never done or things people say we can't do. We need to just, if we're going to change it, it's going to be from the inside out. And if we stay focused that way, you know, and have the right belief as a man thinking so is he and have a clear vision, then we will blossom on the outside. And uh, that's exactly what's happened with our program. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of people say we started slow. I don't. Uh, we, we played for the ACC championship two out of our first three years. But we we had to learn how to win. We had to learn how to handle adversity. Mm-hmm. My second year, we won six games. First year, we played for the championship. Wow. Second year we won six games, we handled the adversity. I, that that team in ten to me was the, the first confirmation that I felt like our culture was taking root. And then we come back in eleven and we go eight 0 and we're the toast of town. Taj Boyd's at every party. I mean, we 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 wow, this is easy, right? And then we get smashed. <laughs> state. And 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 you know uh-huh. we actually actually we beat Florida State. We lose at Georgia Tech, and then we lost to NC State. But then we bounce back and we win the ACC, won 10 games, so we had to learn how to handle success too. And then we've just kind of steadily been consistent. So it's a it's a long I, answer to the question, but it's
0: a great answer, great answer, Coach. I, I love it. I love it. I can hear I can hear. Our, my, we have a mutual friend in John Gordon. I just hear I hear a lot of him come out uh, in the way you speak, and I I I absolutely. We've got pages. This is one of the things we like having people like you on because we've got pages full of notes here um, that we can take (laughs) with us. I know everybody that listens to this enjoys it. So we appreciate your time, Coach. You guys are rolling. Keep it going, man.
1: Thanks, Coach. Thanks so much.
4: Got it. Y'all have fun. Tell Dex hello.
1: For sure. I will do. Hey, DJ, I know we've had a lot of coaches come on, a lot of team builders come on, but that might have been one of the best interviews that we've had, not only from a coach just kind of talking about his culture and describing his players, but really letting us go behind the curtain to really see what he's been able to build with the help of his coaches and the talented players that he's he's recruited, but to see what he's built at Clemson. And I can tell you, having played in North Carolina, having played Clemson, when Clemson had Danny Ford and the, the, the history and the legacy, to watch this team go from being what I would call a regional power to being a national powerhouse in my time, Is really unbelievable because I can say this. Look, man, I grew up a Tar Heel fan. I grew up watching Lawrence Taylor play, and Lawrence Taylor actually um, beat Clemson in Death Valley. I want to say in 1980 was the last time the Carolina has beaten them down there and won an ACC title. Clemson dominated, but they've never dominated to this degree. To go from being a team that was known for their defense to known for their offense to being a guy that, like for Dabo to be a guy who wasn't a coordinator, uh, a guy who's a position coach who was given the interim job when they got rid of Tommy Bowden, but to take it to the level that he's taken it, man, he is an outstanding coach, but really an outstanding visionary. That's what he deserves credit for.
0: Well, I, I thought it was fascinating as well. I, I enjoyed listening to him. And I was thinking, you know, when he was talking about the fact that he just had a vision and was able to then put that all in place. And I thought it was great. First of all, if you're you know a position coach, you should be preparing yourself to be a head coach. If you're an area scout, you should be preparing yourself to be a general manager, mm-hmm. um, constantly adding to your notebook and, and different ideas of what you will do if you ever sit in that chair. Uh, I thought that was outstanding. And when he talked about the fact he just made the decision, look, we're not going to take transfers. We're not going to take junior college players. Not that there's anything wrong with them. And there's other programs these guys are going to thrive. And obviously, Ohio State, with a transfer quarterback, has got a chance to win a national championship this year. But what to me it goes back to of just knowing who you are, what you're about, and, and sticking to it. We talked about it in the in the summer about having non-negotiables, right? Like mm-hmm. I went through on you know position by position and said, look, if you're a corner that cannot find the ball, um, that, that's gonna be an issue for me. Now sometimes that these guys end up improving in that area, but for me, I wasn't gonna jump in on those guys. And um, you know, if you're a, if you're a pass rusher that has no production pass like I'm, I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not going to mess with that so I thought it was interesting that he had some conviction in, in areas and he really hasn't deviated
1: yeah look I think that's the biggest thing that he talked about that he shared conviction uh you have to believe in whatever it is that you believe in you can't be wishy-washy about it like you have to be able to stand up and I heard this a long time ago and it's funny because the guy that I heard it from was Steve Sarkeesian he said part of being a head coach and maybe the biggest part of being a head coach is we are in the belief selling business we are selling what we believe in, to our players. And if we're convincing enough, our players will buy in and they will exhibit the qualities that we want them to exhibit so that we can win games. And so Dabo, talking about conviction, Dabo believing in uh, a program being run a certain way, a program having a, a, a certain feel and a certain look to it, I give him credit because his conviction has produced outstanding results. Better yet, when you talk to Clemson players, it's also produced a lot of great men.
0: Absolutely. And the last thing on that, I thought, uh, key point when he talked about don't focus on building a great team, focus on building a great program. And that's true in life, that sometimes you got to sacrifice what you want right now for what you want most. Um, and think about the bigger picture, and that's what they've done there with that Clemson program. Uh, just outstanding, Buck. A, a, a lot of fun. Are right, you ready to do some uh, hits and misses? Come on, man, let's do it. All right, here we go. So this is uh, this is a report I got right, a report I got wrong, and since we were going through the twenty seventeen draft a little while ago, and we're, we're kind of embarking on that forty mm-hmm. game number, which we have arbitrarily chosen as the, uh, it's, it's, really, of the it's really it's really not, but if you think players,
1: yeah, if you think about it, DJ, like that's that's two and a half years, that's going into your third season, like yeah, that's start. I like it. Yeah, that's that's like a good. Number I think Brian, Brian billick said with quarterbacks it takes about thirty to thirty two game thirty two stars to kind of figure out what they are so you're giving them some some bonus time you get some bonus reps
0: a little bonus yeah a little bonus uh so anyways this is uh something that we enjoy doing on here I'm gonna read a report to you um and then see if you can figure out who it is so this is 2017. Mm-hmm. there are two defensive players I'm doing here the first one uh is an edge rusher and the second one is a corner okay, all right Buck? all right here we go the first one the first one is um one that I got right. and my Where I graded him is just really close to where he got picked, and he's been a, uh, he's been a great player. All right, this guy was only a one-year starter, uh, stand-up edge defender, but he's also used as a walk-around blitzer at times. Tall, athletic frame for the position. He's really fun to study on tape. As a pass rusher, quick first step. His hands are outstanding. Doesn't generate much power with his bull rush, but he's very adept at swiping away opposing hands and, closely, uh, and closing quickly to the quarterback. Plays every snap 100 miles an hour. Against the run, uses length to stack and shed tight ends routinely. His uh, speed and effort combination is very effective on the backside. Overall, this player doesn't have a lot of starting experience, but I love his tape. He should develop into an outstanding three-four outside linebacker at the next level. Mm. Um, so that's uh, DJ. That's I who mean, it is. and he was a first. He's a first-round pick. Guy,
1: I, th- I think I got him. I think I got him. Nabil, like- I think I got this one. Because I got, I got three rounds in front of me. I'm thinking this is T.J. Watt from the Pittsburgh Steelers at 30. Is, 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 am, I, am I right? Ding, 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 ding. Hey, ding, ding, chicken ding, dinner, chicken back. dinner, Look, chicken dinner, he's chicken, dinner, chicken dinner. Yeah, nice. I got everything
0: here. All right. Very nice. Man. T.J. Watt. How about that, man? I, he was I, my 36th player, so I was a little behind him. He was the 30th pick. Um, but I'm right, and I figure I'm going to count that as a hit because I'm right in the ballpark. And he's been uh, he's been a really good player. There. Hey, he's,
1: he's he's been terrific. It's funny now because DJ man, like you know what's crazy?
0: People forget he's a one year starter.
1: It, but even what's crazier about it is some of the names. Like I know we kind of get inundated with the draft, and so once a draft is over, we're on to the next. I'm looking at some of these names of guys that are drafted. Jeez, I don't even don't remember.
0: say him, Buck, because I got to do another Gosh, report. I don't even- I remember some of these dudes, and some of these dudes are taking in the first round. <laughs> so unbelievable. Oh, wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, all right. Are you ready for the second one?
1: I'm and ready. I'm ready. I got I got my, I got my cheese sheet time. out. I got my cheese sheet out. I got I got the first three rounds out. I'm ready.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I, This is a corner that I liked, Buck. Mm. I didn't love. Mm. Okay. Here we go. Uh, This player is a two-year starter corner, outstanding combination of size, speed, and toughness. At his best in press coverage, patient, flashes a quick two-hand jam, Uh, has the speed to turn and and mirror vertical routes, he's fluid to open up underneath. And off coverage, he isn't as consistent plays out of a side turn has struggle versus double moves biggest issue is playing the ball down the field uh, which is ironic because I mentioned earlier that's a that's a non-negotiable for me and of course this guys end up being a good player uh, he's normally in position but he loses too many 50 50 balls to wide receivers uh, he's an aggressive run defender and he has an edge to him after the play is over overall this player has starting ability but his ball awareness down the field is a major concern
1: mm. all right so I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to a school because I think I have multiple chances to to get this one right, All so right. I'm going to the school. The school is Florida, and I'm thinking either Quincy Wilson or Tease Taper. Either one,
0: either one. No, that is uh, that is false. That is false. Wow, and two uh, for Nabil one. guessed uh, Tredavious White, which is not true. Tredavious White's actually a hit for Mister oh, Jeremiah. Oh yeah, he's a good, I got he's a good player.
1: Right. I liked him. Yeah. Who, 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 what do, you who think, do we have? Fuck? Man, who do we who do we have? So, Let's see. Let me again. You said so you're, you're like, talking you about you a combination
0: of size. Size, speed, toughness, just worried about him playing the ball down the field. Size, speed, toughness. Uh, No, Nabil just guessed the exact same guy you already guessed. Come on, Nabil. You already said tape. Come on, you got to listen, Nabil.
1: So right now in the first round, I have a Dory Jackson. Uh, Kevin King is – then I got Sidney Jones, but he's been hurt. Gary Conley hasn't played enough. I'm looking at this corner. Awuzie, Killer Witherspoon – Moreau. I don't even know if Moreau has played for the Skins. Shaquille Griffin. Cameron Sutton. Rasul Douglas. He had ball skills. I'm at a loss, DJ. I mean, I, I, I gave you my Florida guys.
0: Buck, this is a first round pick. Right conference, wrong player. Right. Marlon Humphrey. You
1: don't like Marlon Humphrey? Yes. Marlon Humphrey, you don't like Marlon Humphrey?
0: Marlon Humphrey was the he was the 16th pick, right? He was my 44th player. Ooh, I thought Marlon Humphrey was a second round guy who struggled to play the ball. I loved his physicality, his athleticism. Right, he's only maybe the best corner in the NFL right now. He's top three. Um, that's a miss for your guy right there, Marlon
1: Humphrey. I've heard. Look, I heard. Uh, on, uh, heard D'Angelo. We're talking Hall. about
0: size. I'm talking about size, speed, toughness. Yeah, like that's okay. that's all him. Not that like, right. On
1: like my cheat sheet, I don't have the size, so I can't remember how. T- I can't remember how tall he is. Um, he's a six
0: footer. He's a six footer.
1: Yeah, like it's funny because I think D'Angelo uh, Hall on our airwaves uh, had him listed as arguably the best corner in all of football. And hey, he's playing great. Yeah, yep, he's look, playing he, great. He, look, he's playing great. Got in a little a little altercation a little bit with Odell Beckham Jr., but he's taking on um, some of the Shut top him down. guys. Yeah, so, I mean, look, man, it, it, it's tough. The position nah. is tough, but, um, God, DJ, I, I looked through because I was naming those names, right? So you talk about your Davis White.
0: Yeah, some bad ones, huh?
1: Being, being a good player, but, yeah, man, Kevin King starting to come on because I watched him the other night. He played pretty well. Yeah, he Jones. played Jones the other day. Yeah, Cine Cine Jones, yeah. Cedyn Jones, I worry about the injury and how much that took out of him. Then the two guys we talked yeah. about, Wilson and T. Tabor. I mean, T. Tabor, the Detroit Lions moved on from him. He was a second round pick. Awuzie has been solid. Akele Witherspoon, they always yeah. talk about in San Francisco being an, an, a riser and an up and comer. But then some of the other guys, man, Fabian Moreau was a body beautiful, but the injury. Um, they, man, yep. it's, 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 man, it just makes you realize that. You know, when people talk about like what's behind door number one, the accumulation of draft picks and all these things, I think I'm kind of shifting, DJ. I I think I'm more of (laughs) give me the proven player as opposed to the possibility just because I I think I'm beginning to realize how hard it is to get really, really good players. So when you think about a Laramie versus the two first round picks. I would have a tendency to... Give me, to, me Laramie hey, give That's me, why I said that from the jump. Give, give me Laramie Tunsell. I know exactly what I'm getting. I've seen him play and perform. I'll overpay for that as opposed to the possibility because I'm learning that now, man, it, it is hard to hit on the possibles in the draft.
0: Yeah, and when you can get the best player at his position, you know, arguably with Laramie Tunsell at a premier position versus two picks in the 20s, which... I mean, mm. go through any draft, pull out the two players from the 20s. <sighs> I got roll with I, Larry I, Tunsil.
1: Man, I can, I can pull them out right now. Garrett Bowles, Charles Harris, Dwayne Smoot. Mm, not a Dwayne Smoot. That was the third round. But just some of these names that yeah. I'm seeing, man. Ramsey, Taco Charlton, Tack McKinley, Jabril Peppers.
0: I mean, yeah. go
1: for the sure things.
0: Sure That's what things. I'm sure give things. Me the, give me the real deal. Uh, we, got, uh, we got a couple questions here from, uh, from Apple Podcasts. So if you leave us a, ra- a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, preferably a five-star, come on, do us a solid, uh, and drop a question in there, we'll do our best to answer it uh, every Thursday. So, uh, Nabil, I know you got a couple questions for us. Fire away.
3: All right, the first one. When evaluating offensive linemen, how do you value dominance versus consistency? Would you prefer an offensive lineman who doesn't make mistakes but isn't really moving guys or a lineman who sets the tone but might get lazy with the technique a few plays
0: each game? Mm. You want to tackle that one, Buck?
3: Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll tackle it. Like, fir- first thing, like, it's funny because when, I, when I've asked O-line coaches about uh, preferences and what should I look for in offensive alignment the first thing they talk about is feet, balance, body control. You have to get an offensive lineman that is not on the ground. Like, the first thing, you talk about your non negotiables. An offensive lineman that is always on the ground is a non negotiable yes. thing for me. They got to be able to stay up. They got to play with balance. They got to exhibit some body control. When it comes to dominance and consistency, obviously you would like a dominant player, but I would like a consistent player. But some of it depends on the scheme that you're projecting the guy to go into. Meaning, if I'm 100%. a zone scheme, I want consistency because what I need him to do is consistently lock on his man, and I don't need Either him to over. Off. I don't need him to wall off. He can be a position block. However, if this is a power mm-hmm. scheme, a gap scheme where we're pinning and pulling, I need dominance because I need to see him move people off the ball so we can reestablish the line of scrimmage and have positive runs. And so some of it is scheme dependent, but ultimately I prefer consistency because I think for most things in team building, I can build around someone who I know is going to give me that same consistent effort week in, week out. The guys who are up and down are the ones that drive you crazy because you never know which guy's going to show up on Sunday.
0: So I had an offensive line coach explain this to me one way, and by the way, I would encourage this uh, whoever sent this question in to go re, uh, go listen to the prototype series where we talked about offensive line, where we had Howard Mudd on, and it was awesome, and he can tell you more about the offensive line position than me and Bucky ever could. Uh, but the uh, the way it was explained to me was like, if you envision the quarterback being in a room, right, and an offensive lineman is 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 guarding the door, okay, so the door is open, there's no door, the the little the little entryway there, if he's guarding the entry and somebody tries to get in, and he pushes that guy 15 feet away from the door and puts him on the ground. Is that better than the guy who stands in front of the door, and when somebody tries to get in, he just, he just stands there and stops him from getting in? He said, at the end of the day, you're not getting to the quarterback. So it, that, to me, just get the job done. And mm-hmm. just whoever gets the job done. So inconsistent is not something I'm looking for. Uh, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, no thanks. Um, I, I get you want to have athleticism and, and physicality, but at the end of the day, your job is to keep your man between you and the quarterback. And that's uh, that's the guys that I want.
1: Yeah, uh, consistent effort. Uh, if you can give me consistency, a guy that's going to show up, and you're going to give me the same performance each and every week, I can work around it because I can mask some of your deficiencies. Coaches can change it up scheme-wise to make sure that that guy is always protected. However, if I am building a game plan based on how you're performing at your best and you don't play that way all the time, man, you just uh, compromise what we're trying to do as a team. And so consistency for me is paramount. I want to know that the guy that I see this week is going to be the same guy that I see next week and the week after that and on and on and on. So consistency, to me, trumps dominance uh, when I'm in the team-building aspect.
0: I'm with you. All right, Nabil, give us one more. When it comes to the Saints
3: draft strategy this upcoming spring, do you believe Sean Payton will do everything within reason to ensure he gets a player of immense raw talent like Jordan Love to be his future QB?
0: Well, I'm not so sure its future QB isn't Teddy Bridgewater the way he's played. You know, you get a chance to potentially lock him up. And we'll see. You know, I would think in a perfect world, if you're the Saints and Sean Payton, you you go win the Super Bowl this year, Drew Brees hoists the trophy and gets to pull a John Elway and just kind of ride off into the sunset. Uh, as a champion, I guess Peyton Manning did the exact same thing. Uh, I know Breeze sounds like he wants to play a little bit longer than that, but that would be one scenario. He rides off onto the sunset. You you ink Teddy Bridgewater to a long term deal and you're off and rolling. You still got Taysom Hill there as well. Um, you know, they've taken a bunch of quarterbacks in that second, third round range over the last, uh, you know, since Sean Payton's been there, I guess I should say. Um, haven't found that right guy. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know that they need to, to take a quarterback if they believe in Teddy Bridgewater and keep him on campus.
1: You know, I I think what they've gotten in, in Teddy Bridgewater is probably the perfect thing for Sean Payton. Um, I know we all are fascinated by the next generation of young quarterbacks that are coming into the league, but I do believe there is something to be said for experience. And even though Teddy Bridgewater has he has some starting experience, I would say maybe even significant starting experience. What Teddy Bridgewater has done is what you and I have always talked about. Man, the best way to develop a quarterback is to really take your time develop him let him see the game let him get a taste of the game uh continue to work on his skills on the practice field and then when he's ready man maybe it's even four or five years down the line then you can put him in i think with teddy bridgewater he's kind of going through those rough moments as a young player and sean payton now gets to get a player that has had enough experience where he understands the speed and the pace of the game he's won game so he understands how to manage the game and he's been able to grow within sean payton's system I think if I'm the New Orleans Saints, yeah, I lock Teddy Bridgewater up. I probably don't have to overpay for him. But I got my starting quarterback in the building down the line. And for as long as Drew Brees wants to play, great. But I can continue to nurture Teddy Bridgewater to be the starter that we want. So now when, look, number nine walks away. We have a seamless transition at the quarterback position. I think that's what you want. I think we have seen what has happened in Indianapolis, and I'm not saying that Jacoby Brissett and Teddy Bridgewater are the same, but because the transition has been smooth, the Indianapolis Colts are remaining a viable contender because they don't have questions and they don't necessarily need to go through the developmental process with a young quarterback because their quarterback has been in the league long enough and learned within this system that they've been able to hit the ground running
0: uh that's uh that's a great point i i was thinking about teddy bridgewater buck and i was thinking about this upcoming quarterback class now i know they're a little bit different body type about the same size i think this uh the college kid's a little bit thicker but the way they play the game teddy bridgewater and jake Fromm, i think there's some similarities there with how they Uh, oh you know what that's just good good decision makers go through progressions get the ball where it needs to be
1: that's a really good point um and it's one of the things that everyone worries about with with Jake Fromm. Oh, the arm talent, does he have this, does he have that? But as you know, there's so much more to playing quarterback than just having the biggest arm. It is the management skills. Uh, you talked about the big moments. Have we seen them perform in big moments? Well, in Teddy Bridgewater, I was there in the Sugar Bowl when they beat Florida, having watched one of his big moments with Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm has a number of those big moments, whether it's what he did versus Notre Dame on the road when they got a win, Watching him fend off the competition, Jacob Eason and then Justin Fields, and playing at a high level. Some of those things matter more than the physical tools that someone brings to the table. So Jake Fromm, Teddy Bridgewater comparison to me is a very, very good one.
0: A oh, fun one. We'll be talking more about that uh potentially this spring once we get towards more draft talk. but um, do want to remind everybody, football's back. Watch live, local, and primetime NFL games for free all season long with the Yahoo Sports app or the official app of the NFL on your phone or tablet. Plus, get all your latest breaking news, highlights, and more. Download the NFL NFL app or the Yahoo Sports app in your app store or at nfl.com slash mobile today. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Buck, I, I don't... This might be my favorite episode, man. We've had, uh, yeah. we had some fun conversations, some fun discussions, but then also just two great interviews. Um, and really appreciate Dabo Sweeney carving out a good chunk of time for us in a, in a week where they have a big opponent coming up in Florida State.
1: Yeah, it's been great, man. It was a great, it was a great podcast. today. I, re- I really enjoyed talking to uh, David Morris and Dabo. And then having the conversations. I know it started off slow one for me, you talking about the Dodgers kind of rubbing my nose in it. But I think out <laughs> of it, good stuff came.
0: It's interesting. For sure. Yeah, interesting, interesting conversations. All right, well, thank you guys for listening, downloading, subscribing, all that good stuff, Uh, leaving us a review there on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that as well. Um, You can check out the videos, NFL.com, uh, slash MTS video, and then you can also go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NFL uh, So be on the lookout for all our video content as well. Want to appreciate, uh, want to say our thanks and uh, show our appreciation for Nabil, the job he does producing the pod. Uh, we appreciate him, and we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.
4: Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts.